afternoon, and welcome to the How to Train Your Wagon podcast, the podcast that takes a family spanning three generations around the world to different destinations. That's right, we travel around the world with in-laws. Hey there, slow down before you get yourself into too much trouble. That's not being fair. We actually enjoy traveling with family. And in this episode... We ordered our entrees, that's like we're getting entrees, and we were already full. But what made it hysterical was we're sitting there, we're finishing up, and we're packing up. We ate a little bit of our entrees. But the table behind us, which was a large group that came in pretty good amount of time after us, all of a sudden we hear this, we didn't order this, and they're getting the same appetizer we were getting. So we heard it must have been American special. But it was fun. I mean, Uh, Rome, what a time for everyone. We do our best travel planning at the local coffee shop. So pack up the wagon, head to your nearest coffee shop, and pull up a latte. Today's episode is the first of two episodes directed to the eternal city of Rome complete with Roman ruins, the Vatican, and surrounded by Renaissance estates. Rome is an all-time favorite for us as a family. So, our guest today is Paolo Apolloni of My Best Tours. So, Paolo, first, uh, thank you very much and welcome. We're obviously a big fans of your service and, and what you guys do. I can tell you that when we toured Rome in the golf cart tour, Rome for the day, I know they say that Rome could not have been built in a day, but we absolutely saw that you can see Rome or, or so much of Rome in a day really in a relaxing manner. I I can't believe we accomplished. We were in Rome a couple years ago with your company. I had last been in Rome in 1985. I remember being overwhelmed at the size of Rome as a child and to come back and and not just see so much Rome in the eight hours we spent with your tour, but see so many of the sites. As a kid, I never got to see St. John Lateran, the ability to take a slight detour at the end of the trip. So let's go right ahead and jump back into this. Thank you for inviting me. So, Paula, before we get started, maybe walking th- through the questions, you want to give us a little bit of overview of, of your company, yourself, and, and the tours you operate? Simply, I've been in the tour business for 50 years, and my father was in the business, and I've always been taking on uh, tourists on tours by car, and or I did walking tours like the Vatican and things like that. Then about 10 years ago, I had this idea, doing tours by golf cart, which is easier to drive around in the city for it's a lot smaller than the minivans we used to use. And it's ecological because it's electric and it's fully open so people can really feel the environment around them. Mm -hmm. And everybody was having a great time. So the first time I did it, I thought this is my best tour. And that's why we named the company that. Because later on, I got together with my uh, friend uh, and uh, we started the company. We became officially a company in February 2012, if I remember correctly. And then another friend joined in and now there are three of us and we have about uh, 25 driving guides that do the tours for us now. Okay. And for those that may not be familiar with Rome traffic, maybe say a little bit about what it's like. Tour buses are not allowed in the city anymore. And it's been like that for a while. So the alternative would be a a minivan, which is still uh, kind of bulky and cumbersome for uh, the streets of Rome. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't pull right up to the sites and let your clients off and uh, go see the things or walk with them to see the things because you have to stay with the car. And uh, sometimes there's no way for you to even stop, not talking about parking, but even stopping can be a problem Mm -hmm. because the streets are narrow and the cars are all over the place. 
Well, instead, the uh, the golf car is different. The golf cart is a lot smaller, and uh, you can drive it where uh, the regular carts cannot drive. And so that's a lot better for us and for the tourists we take around. That was great for my mom, who has a mobility issue, that we were able to see a lot of different places because of the golf cart versus a car or a bus that would only take you where you would have to walk and get out. It also gave me a place to sit when I didn't feel like walking with <laughs> So maybe we'll talk of pulmonary matters. Let's say you leave on some place on the East Coast, Washington Dulles, New York City. You land, you fly overnight, you land in Rome early that next morning. First, where would you have our audience stay in Rome and why? I would recommend staying right downtown within a mile and a half, like two kilometers from uh, the center of the city. And uh, not only from there, you can uh, walk to most of the prominent attractions like Piazza Navona, the Pantheon, the Trevi Fountain, and all that. You can also go out for a stroll at night, sit at an outdoors uh, restaurant and have a nice meal or do whatever you like. Instead, if you are outside of that area, then you have to take a taxi every time you want to go someplace. And a lot of people are tricked by the fact that the uh, hotels that are outside of the area are uh, more convenient from the price point of view than the ones that are right in the city center. So they think uh, that they would uh, save money if they stayed at one of those hotels, but then what they save, they have to spend on uh, taxis and other kinds of transportation every time they want to go somewhere. Yeah, I really like staying in the city center ourselves. We were able to walk to like our little bakeries in the morning and able to go to restaurants and see some of the tour sites. So I think staying in the city center was really good for us. And it was a little bit pricier, like you said, but I feel like it you save in the end from the taxi rides. And you save a lot of time because with Rome's traffic, if you're staying outside of the central area, it takes you a while to get anywhere. What would you recommend we do on the day of our arrival when travelers maybe dealing with jet lag. I would suggest uh, going on the tour right away. So you start familiarizing with the city. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that uh, most of the hotels, they don't have their rooms available for their guests until two o'clock in the afternoon. Especially if you come early in the morning, if if your plane lands around seven or eight, like most of the flights from the US, you get to uh, the city about an hour and a half, two hours later, and you have to wait until two o'clock. So at that point, you'd have two choices, either sitting around in the lobby waiting for uh, your room to be ready or walk around the city like a zombie, not knowing where you're going. <laughs> so I uh, really, the, the golf cart tour would be the best solution is going to a museum it's out of the question because after spending eight or nine hours inside a plane, you don't want to go into another place where uh, it's crowded, it's indoors. If if it's, if you come in the summer, then it's really hot. So the golf cart tour is better because uh, the golf carts are open. As soon as you start moving, you feel the breeze and you can start uh, getting acquainted with the city. And uh, you have a driver guide that tells you what to see, where to go for dinner and gives you all the suggestions you need on the first day here. On our first day, we did the golf cart tour, and it was a great way to get to know the city. The other thing is we asked if we could drop off the luggage 
first, and then your tour was able to meet us in a slightly different location because of where we were located at, which was a big help for us as a family. Sure. We offer a transfer service, so we can come and pick you up at the airport. Most of the hotels have no problems with you dropping off your luggage while they work on your room to get it ready. And if they cannot do it, it's not a problem for us to keep your luggage in one of our offices and then recollect it at the end of the tour. That's great to know. So I'll speak to a topic that's near and dear to my in-law's heart. And that is we've had our good first night's sleep. Next morning we're up and at them and we're looking for some breakfast options. So what are some of the breakfast options you'd see in Rome around the places where you'd have a stay? Of course, a lot of the hotels uh, have breakfast included in the price of the room. And they serve some serious breakfasts. They have buffet breakfast. And so if your deal with the hotel includes breakfast, that's the best solution. Otherwise, if you're staying in the city center, you just walk out of the hotel and there are bakeries and uh, coffee shops that uh, can uh, serve you uh, the kind of breakfast you're used to. They wouldn't have a problem frying an egg for you with bacon and stuff like that. They can serve you uh, an orange squash or uh, fruit juice, whatever you like. And of course, the best coffee because Italy is famous for coffee. Very good coffee. Okay. We, we're, we're well fed after breakfast. Everyone's wearing to go. What you would have a see in the first full day of attractions? It depends. On on the first uh, full day of uh, sightseeing, you could go and uh, visit the Vatican. And uh, if it's not a Sunday, because they're closed on Sundays. Otherwise, you can explore the Colosseum and the Roman Forum. The, uh, we offer tours to both. And the, uh, the Vatican, though, of course, nowadays with the pandemic and all that, the, the Vatican museums are kind of empty. But uh, normally during the summer, they would be packed with tourists. So we always recommend to go in the afternoon rather than going in the morning because that's when they're really crowded. The crowds really ease down in the afternoon, so that's the best time to go. And of course, on the very same day, you could do the Colosseum and its archaeological park, which includes the Roman Forum and the Palatine Hill. But that's a, a good three hours of walking around in the ruins and uneven surface. And then the Vatican is another three hours of walking a total of about uh, seven or eight miles between the two places. So I would advise against uh, visiting both places on the same day. Well, suppose you already uh, did a, a half day tour as you arrived the day before. Of course, you might have uh, visited the main attractions, but there's a lot more to see in Rome. So uh, you could take another golf cart tour in the morning and uh, go see the places that were omitted on the first day, like the, the old Appian Way and the uh, Baths of Caracalla and the catacombs and things like that. And then in the afternoon, you could go visit either the Vatican or the archaeological park of the Colosseum. Okay. Now, I think many of your travelers from North America, odds are, if they're tight, especially when you're traveling with three generations, odds are they, they're going to be traveling in the hotter months and the summer months because the kids are obviously not yes. in school then. 
Yeah, sure. And, and I can tell you that we stayed close to the Vatican. I think your offices are just outside the Vatican Museum office or entrances, which is very convenient. For us, we like being able to, even in a moment of free time, walk over to St. Peter's Square, drink in the sights. It was just a, a breathtaking experience. That said, being in Rome in, in July, I, I think when we were there, it was 90-some degrees, and it was hot, but it was manageable. But we arranged for the uh, tours of the archaeological the catacombs below the Vatican to see the uh, remains of, of St. Peter. And it's a very special ticket you have to apply to. There's only a couple per day trying to limit the, the damage to the catacombs. So we're looking forward to that, and, and we figured being in the catacombs would be cool. Unfortunately, I'd say it was even more humid and more uh, muggy, as we say out here, uh, touring the rooms in the middle of the day. Every part of Rome we thought was really stunning and breathtaking. If you're counting on the catacombs to be a cool break from the hot Roman sun, I don't know that people will be fortunate to experience that. A lot of people uh, book themselves in a um, book a tour of the excavations under St. Peter's for themselves or uh, other places that uh, they've heard about the Domus Aura or newly found archaeological sites. Paula, what I'd like to know, do you offer like a several day package to people that you tour one part of the city and then the next day you can pour, tour another part? Of course, yeah. We can plan the, the whole vacation for our tourists. I mean, oh, okay. not only for Rome, but also going to other places. What I've been doing a number of times, I do a lot of tours that cover almost every place in Italy for uh, like uh, a week or two. And often I met my clients at the airport in uh, Venice and then spent a couple of days there with them and then drove down to Florence and uh, spent two, three days in Florence. And then uh, we went all the way down to the Amalfi Coast and spent time in Sorrento and then finally Rome. And after they visited Rome, they got on the flight back home from the airport of Rome. And that's the best solution because you save a lot of time and you save a lot of money. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We've had a busy day sightseeing. We've worked up an appetite walking some of these millennial sites. Where would you have us eat for dinner? Well, I can see how that could happen. <laughs> I believe that uh, turning around Rome the whole day, when the evening comes, you're starving. And uh, there are a lot of great places for one to have dinner at and for sure in Rome there's no lack of good restaurants and the one suggestion is to stay away from the tourist restaurants which are easily recognizable because you don't see an Italian eating there they're all tourists and another thing that they could be spotted by is that they offer a tourist menu oh yeah we got stuck in that American special (laughs) We it laughed when we were leaving. experience I ever had. It was fun, though. It was. And so instead, you can just follow your nose and stumble into a, a good restaurant. But uh, before you enter, take a look at the menu. If they have it posted outside, then uh, if they have too much stuff, it means that they serve a lot of uh, frozen because you cannot have 15 different first courses and uh, cook them in a couple of minutes while the client is waiting at the table. So it must be pre-cooked stuff that they just warm up for you and then they just deliver it. And uh, instead, I, I would go to a place that has maybe four or five first courses, four or five second courses, 
And then, of course, you have to uh, look inside and see how many people in there look Italian and how many of them instead look like tourists. And if there's more Italians than tourists, you can walk in. Otherwise, you just go someplace else. If you want to mention a few, that'd be great. But our audience can know that we'll include links to these restaurants in our show notes. Okay, there's a very good uh, fish restaurant that's called Dottavio. And another one that is called uh, Da Tonino, which is near Piazza Navona. So very easy to get to if you're uh, staying in the city center. Then there's a I that has uh, three restaurants in Rome and uh, one in Milan. Then a good place for pizza is Emma, not far from Piazza. And it's still good, even though you might find a lot of tourists in there. And then there's a restaurant next door to our office by the Vatican, which is called the the restaurant of the museums, because it's right by the Vatican museums. And the owners are Giulio and Maria, brother and sister, who besides cooking very good uh, dishes from the uh, traditional Roman cuisine, they are also very amusing. And then, of course, for uh, the kids that are used to eating hamburgers, they can find McDonald's and Burger King all over. But obviously, if you come all the way to Rome, you don't want to go to one of those places. So there's a place that's called Queen Bee, which is a good hamburger restaurant. And then there's another one that's called the Piccolo Buco, which is a pizza place. And then one typical Roman fast food is the fried filet of cod. And there's a place that does only that. And this also is not far from, and it's called Dal Filetaro. The the name of the the square which is located is Santa Barbara, Saint Barbara. That's easy to remember. And then there's a, for pizza still, Gino Sorbillo which has the best pizza places in Naples and recently opened up a couple of places in Rome. And one is right by the newly restored, the mausoleum of Augustus, right in the center of the city of Rome. And the other one instead is inside the shopping mall called La Rinascente. I would suggest taking a look at this uh, shopping mall because it's two minutes away from the Trevi Fountain, so very easy to reach. And uh, it's interesting because not only you can see the shops in there, but you also see some Roman ruins. And uh, the special ruin that you can see in there is the uh, aqueduct that supplies with water the Trevi Fountain, which was built in the year 19 BC and it still runs, the water still runs in it, and you can see it just by visiting the shopping mall called La Rinascente. Then not far from the Trevi Fountain, the Piazza Navona, and is Roscioli, a traditional Roman fast food. You can um, get a pizza there or a uh, calzone. The calzone is the pizza dough folded and stuffed with uh, prosciutto and mozzarella or other things and then fried. So these are briefly my suggestions and that I could spend the rest of the day here uh, mentioning another 700 places.
So we had a funny story, and I want my parents to talk about the dinner that we call the American Special of right off the Vatican streets. We went to an Italian restaurant. We were all seated, and there was seven of us. So we filled the table, and they began to wait on us, and they didn't particularly speak great English, but they could speak English. So we got our drink orders in, and we were starting to figure on appetizers. So as soon as I said the word appetizers, the... The waiter said appetizers. And, and the next thing I know, we got one for you. We got one for you. And they walked away. And we hadn't got a chance to choose our appetizer yet. And the next thing I know, they're coming back with six or seven waiters, all with a different appetizer in their hand, throwing it down on the table. So that's what we kept saying. We didn't order this. We didn't all order so it. And, they, and, they, and if, we ate, if we finished one off, they filled it back up again and they yeah. continued with this. <laughs> and we probably had every appetizer they had. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then we ordered. We ordered our entrees. Next thing, we're getting entrees, and we were already full. But what made it hysterical was we're sitting there, we're finishing up, and we're packing up. We ate a little bit of our entrees. But the table behind us, which was a large group that came in pretty good amount of time after right. us, all of a sudden, we hear this. We didn't order this. And they're getting the same appetizer <laughs> we were getting. They were, everybody <laughs> so we heard it must have been an American special. But, but it was fun. I mean, we enjoyed it. I have it. to tell you, that was my best dining experience because yeah, we experienced good. all the appetizers you could get without. And we never would have done that had we asked for yeah, them. We would never order. We would have gotten time. one or we would have gotten two, but we wouldn't have got all of them. But it was fun. And it was fantastic. Yeah, it, it turned was out to be fantastic. You know, ahead of time. That's all you order. Very you got to know before you sit down that uh, they do such a job with the with the appetizers. Yeah, it was fun. Otherwise, if you don't expect it, then you order a lot a lot of other stuff which you're not going to eat. Yeah. Now, there was one more thing, and I don't know if we should when I should bring it up, but that I found very impressive, and it helped beat the heat in Rome. Is all the fountains that there are? You buy one bottle of water and you fill it the rest of the day out of fountains. That's right. And there's springs and, and it's all fantastic and it's all cool and you can drink as much as you want. You know? And it was yeah, good water. We got these water fountains that were, that we call uh, with the nickname of Nazone. Nazone means big nose. Because they have a spout that looks like a, a big nose coming out of the fountain that you drink from. And on the spout, there's a little hole. So but you put your finger at the end of the spout to stop the water from flowing regularly. And the water is forced to come out of the little hole. So you just bend down and it goes directly into your mouth. You don't have to well, use that, yeah. a bottle or, or a cup or anything. You can just bend down and uh, the water goes directly into your mouth, going upwards instead of downwards. That's, that's one of the great things about Rome, though, is those fountains. So after we've got the big thing out of the way, what would you have us explore on our second full day? On your second full day, I would recommend getting out of the city a little bit. And of course, you can go on the uh, half-day tour because there are a lot of incredible places within a half-hour, 45 minutes drive from Rome. And the most the scenic is uh, Tivoli. It's a small town up on the mountains, and which is a Renaissance palace, which is built on top of a hill. And on the, on the side of the hill, they have this fantastic park with 400 artistic fountains. And one of them was also designed by Bernini. So they're really 
it really is a spectacular place. And uh, if you go in the summer, it's also a, it's also very refreshing to spend time there because first of all, it's uh, about a couple of thousand feet from uh, sea level. So the air is cooler, but also all that water flowing out of the fountains really keeps the temperature down, but you can go there for, uh, it takes about an hour and a half to visit the place, but uh, you probably would want to stay for the whole day. If it's really hot in Rome, you wouldn't want to go back down to the city. Unfortunately though, because of the fact that the park is built on the slope, it doesn't make it uh, easy to visit for anybody who has uh, walking issues and it's not really wheelchair accessible. There is an elevator which you can take down to the uh, first level and you can uh, look at all the fountains in the park from above. It's not the same as actually going down and seeing all the fountains from, from close, but you can do that. Now, another thing is that uh, years ago, they used to have a, a golf cart service for the disabled that actually took them around, but they don't have it anymore. But uh, I was told that they were working on it to get it back on, but I, I don't know if they did it or not. But one of these days I will call and see if what's going on. Another place outside of the city, still about half an hour, 45 minutes drive is the Roman castles. The area is called the Roman castles, but you don't really see castles there anymore because the, the castles were originally built on top of these hills that are called the Alban Hills in uh, the middle ages by the uh, wealthy nobles of uh, Rome who wanted to have a place, a castle in the area where they had uh, dwellings so that the castle could protect the land that they owned during the tough times of the Middle Ages. Then later on, when things got better in the Renaissance, which means uh, 16th, 17th centuries, then they modified the castles because they weren't needed anymore and they made them become very comfortable uh, summer residents where they could spend their uh, summers away from the heat of Rome because we're still talking about 1500, 2000 feet above sea level with the air is a lot cooler. So two towns that must be visited in this area are Castel Gandolfo and Neni. They're each on the rim of a volcanic lake and uh, Castel Gandolfo, which is the biggest of the two, is also the one where the popes have been spending their uh, summers until uh, rather recently. The last time, the last pope that was spending time in Castel Gandolfo the summer was Benedict XVI. Now, the actual pope doesn't care for it. And that's a tradition that was started in the 17th century by Pope Urban VIII, who rearranged the, the castle that was there, which he had bought from the Gandolfo family that originally built it, and they made it become a lavish residence for the popes. Then the other town is called Nemi, N-E-M-I, and it's on uh, the rim of another volcanic lake, and it's a smaller town and the lake is smaller 
and it really has more quaint atmosphere than Castel Gandolfo because it's less visited than Castel Gandolfo. And uh, it's famous for the tiny little strawberries that they grow there, which are small but very tasty. Then there's another place, it's ancient Ostia. Ostia was the port city that the Romans built at the mouth of the Tiber River, which actually protected the Rome from eventual seaborne invaders. So it was like the sentry for Rome. And also later on, it became the hand that fed Rome because all of the grains, like the wheat and everything else, were being brought to Rome from overseas, meaning the other side of the Mediterranean, North Africa, where the land was really fertile at that time, wasn't desertic like it is now. So all the food was being brought from North Africa to Rome by the seaport of Ostia. Of course, also from uh, the seaport of Ostia, all the uh, building material was brought to Rome. All the columns and all the marble that you can see in the ruins today. Now, the place is wheelchair accessible with some limitations. And it's good for kids and teenagers because they can play Indiana Jones in there. Because Ostia is not as famous as Pompeii is. The, the two places uh, are uh, similar, but Pompeii gets a lot more visitors than uh, Ostia does because Pompeii is more famous. And because of the fact that it wasn't abandoned like Ostia was, it was uh, buried by the ashes of the volcano and it was forgotten about until the 1700s. It's a lot better preserved. You can still see all the frescoes in there and uh, everything else. While instead, in, instead, Ostia is a lot more ruined, yet you can still see some of the frescoes, you can still see some of the mosaics, and you can see how the Romans lived. Because in Pompeii, the Romans vacationed. In Ostia, they worked like they worked in Rome. Okay. Oh, it's tremendous. I can't believe you can see so much within a, a half an hour of Rome. Yeah, and of course, you can combine these two tours in one day. Like you can go to uh, Tivoli in the morning and uh, visit Tivoli. And then in the afternoon, you can go to the Roman castles. You can go to the Alban Hills and visit Castel Gandolfo and Nemi. Or you can go to uh, Ostia Antica in the morning and then go to Castel Gandolfo and Nemi in the afternoon. Okay. I know you had a special place in your heart for, and especially for the children among us uh, to go to a gladiator school. Can you maybe touch upon oh, yeah. gladiator school? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, the kids have a lot of fun there. And it's good for everybody, any age, but the kids have more fun. It's a place right off, they have two places actually. One is right off the old Appian Way, which means about two miles from the Colosseum. They reenact life at the time of the ancient Romans in there. But the most attractive part is the gladiators. They, so they show you how the gladiators dress. They tell you all about the gladiators, uh, who they were and how they fought and this and that. 
and they actually teach the kids or also the adults if they want to participate they teach them how to fight like a gladiator they do some gladiator training for you and that's of course a lot of fun for the kids and they also have another place outside of the city still about a half hour drive from the city center which is within the grounds of an amusement park it's a regular amusement park roller coasters and uh, things like that but also they have their special area within uh, the grounds where they have really rebuilt Rome, let's say. So they have a small amphitheater made of wood where they show you the gladiators fights and make you fight like a gladiator. Then they have the tents that the army used when they sieged the town. And they also have the cart or the cage on it in which they transported the, the ferocious animals or the slaves. And you can also stay there for the night if you want. You can actually live one or two days like an ancient Roman. You eat an ancient Roman, they are able to prepare the same type of food that the Romans ate. And then you can sleep in a tent like you were a Roman soldier 2,000 years ago and stuff like that. So it's really amusing. Actually, it sounds like a fun time. I can see why kids would enjoy that. Yeah, it is. I had, uh, when they first opened up, opened up this new place outside of the city, they invited us to go and see what it was like. And I had fun myself. <laughs> also, I also rode a chariot. What they have over there, since the, the grounds were uh, used until a few years ago, they were part of a movie studio. And uh, I don't know which film they built it for, probably The Gladiator itself, the, the film The Gladiator. They rebuilt portion of the Circus Maximus, where they have, the Romans used to have their chariot races. So that's fun to see too. Uh, you've been to Rome, so you probably saw that there's not much left of the uh, Circus Maximus, which was the biggest stadium ever built in the whole world. It could seat 250,000 people. They still haven't built anywhere in the world something like, something that size. But over there, they have actually rebuilt part of it. And it's fun just to uh, walk inside there and uh, imagine uh, the chariots are racing around uh, the central spine and the crowds uh, cheering and yelling. It, it's great. It's really an experience. You can spend the whole day there. And if you want, of course, besides the ancient Rome part, the gladiators and all that. You also have the uh, regular uh, amusement park with the roller coasters and stuff like that. Okay. That just sounds like a tremendous uh, trip so far. It's so easy to spend the whole day there. And if you want to sleep in a tent, <laughs> you can also spend the night at the place and have a, an ancient Roman breakfast, which I don't think I would like to have. But anyway. So this wraps up Seven Days in Rome, part one. Tune into part two in order to learn about things that a three-generation family can see in areas outside of Rome and the surrounding environment.